on staff here. Uh, we have two now. I don't know if you know that. Um, I'm going to point him out over here. Brandon Lambius. Raise, raise your hand over there. There you go. He hates having the center of attention on him, especially on Sunday mornings. But we've got him. Uh, he's going to team teach with me later uh, this year. We've already got on the calendar, so he's going to be up in front of you guys with me. Um, I believe in May? April? Okay. April or May. Late April, early May. Somewhere around there. Um, but uh, we're excited to work with the students and Excited to be here with you this morning. We've been in a series um, called Joy. We've been studying the book of Philippians. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, go and grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you use an iPad or a phone, feel free to turn there. I'm not going to have the the full text that we're reading up on the screen, but I'll have parts of it here this morning. But you can go ahead and turn there as we get going. And Bill has been using this um, resource that he found on Right Now Media uh, for our small groups called Discipleship Explored. And I think some of you guys are in small groups that are following along with us on Sunday mornings, and so we appreciate that. And he's been using this acronym called JOY, J-O-Y. It stands for Jesus, Others, and You. And so we've spent three weeks um, on this series so far. Nate set the stage for us uh, with the history of Philippi and Paul, and uh, Bill has continued that, and then I'm going to bring in uh, week four this morning. One of the things, though, I love, i got to share with you. So um, I've always loved the book of Philippians, and uh, I'm, I'm in a men's group on Wednesday mornings, and the guys always make fun of me as a pastor and pretty much make fun of all pastors for how we can be really long-winded on a very short section of Scripture. And they're like, it must be a something, you know, pastor skill. But they actually teach it to us in seminary. So this binder is actually on Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Six verses that Bill talked about last week. Okay? So in, in, when I went to seminary, um, I studied Greek, and so... Um, I guess I should clarify, this is how to study Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, just an incredible passage. So why are we long-winded? Corwin, Baker, Kendig, all you guys in my Wednesday morning group, this is why. They, they breed it into us in, in seminary. I'll just weigh this here. It's kind of what it feels like to go to seminary too. So. But what's interesting is that, that passage that Bill taught on last week, um, is a passage called the kenosis passage. Kenosis is a Greek word for emptying. And if you read last year, here last week, you heard Bill talk about how Jesus emptied himself and became man, became fully God and fully man. And uh, I remember this word, kenosis, because when I went to seminary, I didn't have a Bible college background. Um, I, had a, I have a business degree. And so I became a pastor in my last church, and a year into being a pastor, they, they said, okay, it's time to start seminary, Brandon. Um, what? Oh, sorry. Just kidding. Um, it's, it's, it's time to start seminary, Chris. And so I go, and one of the things you have to do is you take this Bible proficiency exam. And I'm like, I got this. I've been following Jesus for like five years. I'm a pastor in a church. So I go, and I take this test, right? And it's just you by yourself in a room. And I like fly through this thing. Oh, it's so easy. Kenosis. That word stood out to me, though. I'm like, I don't know what that word is. So I just guessed. It was multiple choice. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And um, so I go turn in my test. And the lady that's administering the test, she's like, wow, you were really quick. She's like, I've never seen anybody turn in a test that quickly for this exam. And I'm like, well, I'm good. You know, what can I say? (laughs) And um, two years later, I'm studying Greek, and we come up on this kenosis passage, and I remember that question on the test. And I'm like, oh, kenosis, I probably got that wrong. Well, I found out a few years after graduating from my master's degree and MA, I thought about going back and getting my MDiv. Uh, it was like the MBA of seminary degrees. And so I, I was contacting the school, and I said, okay, I'm thinking about the MBA or the MDiv. What do I need? And they're like, well, you need, 
We looked at your records, you need 27 hours. I said, well, I think you're wrong, because I think I only need 24 hours, not 27. They said, well, no, you need to take this class. And they showed me this class. And it was kind of an intro to the Bible class. And I was like, why do I have to take that? And they're like, well, do you remember that Bible proficiency exam? I said, yeah. He goes, you failed that exam. (laughs) I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, you flunked it, dude. Like, you had no clue what you're... Seriously. So all you people out there that are struggling with trying to understand the Bible and everything about faith, like, I was a pastor for a year, and I flunked the Bible proficiency exam. In the words of Monty Python, though, I got better. So, um, anyway, so we better move on. Philippians chapter 2. As I said last week, Bill talked about Jesus. And we pick up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And he goes on, and he basically says, you know, um, Paul is writing, and, and Paul, remember, is in prison. Uh, we believe probably in Rome, possibly in Ephesus, or maybe Caesarea. We don't really know for sure. But we know he's in prison when he's writing this letter. And he has a couple people with him, and, and you're going to see them here. But he kind of writes, and he says, you know, Jesus is our ultimate example. But then also, you know, follow my example, he says, as I follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says that. And then he gives two others. He says, you know, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're really good people to follow as well because they're following Jesus. So we pick up in chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to read the text here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out, Paul says, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Remember, Paul is in prison. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. There's so many different things in this passage. And Bill said it last week. He's like, Chris, I don't know how you're going to do it, man. I had Jesus. You have like all of this to cover. Um, and there's some incredible word pictures here. I mean, Paul ties into some Old Testament pictures with the, the drink offering being poured out. He, he ties into the Greek culture with running the race. You know, athletic, athleticism was valued in that culture. Uh, but one of the ones that stood out to me the most was that phrase, shine like stars. There in, in verses uh, 14 through 16. So we have it here on the screen. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This is from the New Living Translation. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. 
And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Whenever you're interpreting, whenever you're studying scripture, one of the things I always encourage you to do is read the same passage in multiple translations. See how different translators use different words to get the full picture of, of what uh, Paul was talking about. So I, I, I found this, and I, I, the ERV, I don't know if anybody knows it or used it. Um, I had to look it up. Like, what does ERV stand for? It's easy to read version. Can't get any easier than that, right? But I really liked how it, how it said it. Um, it says these words in the ERV. ERV. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you'll be blameless and pure, children of God without any fault. Sounds very similar, of course. We're reading the same text. But you, I like this. You are living with evil people all around you who've lost their sense of what's right. We don't even need a sermon to talk about that one, do we? Among those people, you shine like lights. Not you should, not you must, not, not, it might be a good idea, but you shine, Church of Philippi, Christians today, followers of Jesus today, you shine like lights in a dark world, and you offer them the teaching that gives life. So I can be proud of you when Christ comes again. You will show that my work was not wasted, that I ran in the race and won. I love that phrase, shine like lights in a dark world. Let's be honest, light changes everything. It's like when you're in home and storms coming through and it's dark and then you find that flashlight, right? And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I, I can see. I know where I'm going. I know, I know what I'm supposed to find. Some of you have heard the story of when I went uh, caving in Missouri uh, years ago with a group of guys from my last church and uh, we were way underground, like 20 minutes, 20 minute hike underground. We were sleeping in this cavern overnight. It was a huge cavern and it was pitch black. And, and if you didn't have the light on, like I was putting my hand in front of my face and I literally could not see a thing. We walked around this loop three times before we realized that we had gone that loop already once before and the guide was like, actually this is our third trip around, right? It was that dark. Uh, we play a game in student ministry every now and again um, called Grog. And some of the students, if you're in here, maybe you've played this with us. But uh, we, we empty this room. It's played in here in the gym. We turn off all the lights. All the lights. I mean, no hall lights, nothing. Nothing is, is in here. And we have uh, the students, we have two people that are called the grogs. And they hide in here somewhere in the gym. And uh, also hidden in the gym is a flashlight. Sometimes we take it apart in pieces. Sometimes we have a hole. But we send in all the rest of the students into the pitch black of the gym to run around, crazy, and, uh, and, and find this flashlight so you can kill the grog before the grog touches you. There's a reason... 80% of insurance claims in churches are youth ministry related, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. But it's a fantastic game. And, and, and when the students find the light, I mean, we're all freaking out because the grog's going to get us, the grog's going to get us. And then all of a sudden, the student finds the light, and they're like, I got you. I found the, found the grog, right? And we kill the grog with the light. We can bring lights up. Light changes everything. We're just shine like stars. We all know people in this world who stand out, Right? Whether they be business leaders or politicians, actors, actresses, athletes, they stand out for good reasons and, and sometimes not so good reasons. 
Uh, my wife was uh, yesterday on Facebook and she saw this thing and, and I did some research on it and realized it's kind of been circulating ever since it happened in 2012. But J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, um, she was taken off of the Forbes billionaire list. I don't know if you know this. She lost her billionaire status because she gave away too much money. Like she literally gave away money that took her from a billionaire to a millionaire, right? As followers of Jesus, we're to stand out in the world. Not, not because we're athletic, not, not because we're, we're influential in some way, not because we give away tons of money, but simply because our life serves as a sign pointing towards the greatness of God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I came across this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer just a few days ago, actually, and it worked great for this message this morning. And he once said or wrote this, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. I love that quote. That's what it means to shine like stars. And when people look at you, they go, what, what is it about this person in their relationship with Jesus? I want that. I crave that. Honestly, I think that's what has, in our church, you know that we've lost a 22-year-old young woman, Sarah Blanchard. I think that's one of the things that made her stand out to us so much, was she lived out this quote. People are now looking at her life and, and her death and how her family is, is both grieving and celebrating her life and death. And they're going, why don't I believe like they believe? What do they understand that I don't understand? That's what it means to shine like stars in this dark world. And so we, we have this passage in Philippians, and we've already talked about Jesus, and then Paul goes in and, and he says, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And just for a little context, uh, Paul, remember, he's in prison. And in that culture in that day, sometimes um, friends or family, followers were allowed to come into the prison to support you. Sometimes prisons didn't provide anything for you, and you needed those people to take care of you. And so he had evidently Timothy with him. Uh, who was a, a good young protege of his, and he also had this individual Epaphroditus. And in this letter in Philippians, he talks about both, and he says, Epaphroditus, I'm going to send him back to you, Philippi, like right now, immediately. You sent him to me, thank you, but I'm sending him back to you right now. Two things, number one, I want to say thank you for what you've done for me. Number two, you've heard that your friend was ill and almost to the point of death, and, and I want to give him back to you so you know that he's well. Then he says, I'm going to hold on to Timothy, though, a little bit longer. He says, I want Timothy to stay with me um, because I need him here because I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I need him to come back to you when we figure out, am I, am I getting out of prison? Am I going to die here in prison? What's going to happen to me? And so I need Timothy to, to stay with me for a little bit longer. And each one of these has a different story. Each one of these, uh, these individuals stands out in their world. Each one is a shining light in the darkness of first century Roman Empire. I love Paul. Paul, if you don't know his story, was a God-fearing Jew. Somebody who, who understood the Old Testament, had grown up in Jewish culture. And, and, and Paul, represented by this candle here, uh, Paul was a rising star in the Jewish world. I mean, he, he'd gone to the right school, he knew the right people, he had everything going for him. 
In fact, I mean, he was looked at to be one of the top leaders in the Jewish world. Paul is seen, when we first encounter Paul, his name is Saul, and he's actually holding the coats of the people who are killing Stephen, the first martyr of the church, of the new Christian faith. And, and, and Paul goes on, he, he gets permission from the synagogues to go out and find followers of Jesus, people who, who were following this new way called, or this new religion called the way. And he's got permission from synagogue leaders to go in and kick down doors and arrest people and, and to hand them over for trial and sometimes death. And, and Paul is, is on his way to do this. He's on, in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus. And as he's going there to Damascus to find followers of Jesus and, and persecute them, he encounters Jesus. And, and, and we, we see he's overpowered by this light. He's blinded. Um, he hears Jesus speak to him. And, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul says, who, who is this? He says, this is Jesus, the one that you're fighting against. Stop fighting against me and believe. And, and Paul, still Saul, he goes into Damascus, and, and we, we see that he becomes a follower of Jesus as a result of this moment. He goes on and, and, and becomes really influential and, and starts spreading the gospel. And in fact, early believers were really nervous whenever Saul, now Paul, entered the room because they knew who he was. They knew his history. And then they were like, is this real? Is this, is this guy really changed? They were a little skeptical, and we would be as well. But he goes on and, and he becomes this, this prolific writer and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He begins to travel and spread the gospel, and, and he goes on three different missionary journeys. And, and much of the belief and the understanding of God and the theology that we have today comes from the Apostle Paul. Paul was a light in a dark world. And then we talk about Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul encountered on probably his second missionary journey, I believe is when it was. And he encounters him in a town called Lystra. Timothy's mom was a Jew and a God-fearing person, a follower of Jesus. His dad, though, was Greek, which meant that Timothy kind of had multiple backgrounds and diverse backgrounds, could relate to a lot of different people. Timothy was a young man who was well-respected in his community. And he had a lot of people that spoke highly of him. You know, as a youth pastor, I oftentimes get um, invited to write letters of reference for young men and women who are applying for scholarships or jobs or camp counselor positions. And most of the time, honestly, it's pretty easy to write those. Sometimes, though, you get one, you're like, really? Do you remember what you were like in middle school and high school? Because I'm not sure that I want my name attached to you right now, right? But Timothy, Timothy want, people wanted their name attached to Timothy. He was a young man who was highly, highly respected. And so Paul invites Timothy to, to come on this journey with him. Now, there was something interesting that, that Timothy had to go through. And we, we don't know exactly how old he was, but we're guessing somewhere between 16 and 22. So picture yourself here. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to come with me. And you've heard a lot about Paul, and you like Paul, a lot of respect for Paul. And you want to travel with him. He says, by the way, there's one caveat. We have to circumcise you. <laughs> and Timothy's like, wait, what? What are we doing? And he says, well, no, no, I know. We're going to go preach the gospel to Jews, and it's kind of a big deal, and so we've got to circumcise you. And, but Timothy, because of his trust in Paul and his faith in Jesus, submitted to circumcision, begins to travel with Paul on these missionary journeys, preaching the gospels and, and strengthening the churches. Uh, Timothy grows into a young leader. 
that we see becomes the leader of the church at Ephesus, uh, becomes co-author of a few of the New Testament books with Paul. He was a young, rising star, rising leader. It reminded me, in my last church, we had a, a young man named Dave Hall, and Dave was not your typical middle school, high school student. He was very mature for his age, a strong belief in God. Went on from high school to study in, in Bible college and, and seminary and became a pastor. And uh, First was an associate pastor, and then became an executive pastor in a church in Pennsylvania. And um, all the while, I've had the opportunity to kind of mentor him along this process. And then he and his wife felt his call to, to become missionaries. And so they, they left family and everything behind, and they traveled to an Arab nation. Um, and they are now missionaries, predominantly reaching out to Muslims overseas. Dave was a Timothy. Dave and Timothy were both lights in a dark world. We have Paul and we have Timothy. And we have this third individual, Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is almost a footnote in the New Testament. Like, I, 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 in my studies, you know, I went to my study Bible and I went back to the, the uh, concordance in the back where you can look up words and names and all this stuff. And his name's not even in the back of my Bible. Like, he does not stand out at all. And you can read Philippians, and you can get this idea, like, he was just a, you know, a character piece, right? Not really that big of a deal. We know that, that he came from probably a pagan family. His name, Epaphroditus, means belonging to Aphrodite, okay, a Greek goddess. Um, and so we know that at some point he became a follower of Jesus, possibly because of the influence of Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And so he takes on the name of Jesus, and he goes from belonging to Aphrodite to belonging to Jesus. And so he's in the church in Philippi, and he, he church hears about Paul and that he needs some assistance. And so they pool their resources together, money, you know, physical goods, we don't know what exactly. And they, they choose somebody, and, and Epaphroditus, for whatever reason, stands out. And they say, Epaphroditus, go to Rome, Ephesus, Caesarea, wherever Paul is. He, Epaphroditus knew where he was. Go to him and meet his needs. And so he becomes this kind of messenger almost for the Philippian church. Paul, though, sees him as so much more than a messenger. He uses a few different words in this book to the church at Philippi. And he says, my brother Epaphroditus. You know, he, he is your brother in, in Christ, Paul reminds them. My fellow worker in Christ. Not only is he a brother in Christ, but he's willing to sacrifice for the name of Jesus. He's also a fellow soldier. Like He's willing to, to do the hard work, the battle of that. Interestingly, Paul uses two other Greek words that, that give an idea of how maybe big of a character Epaphroditus is, even though this is the only place in the New Testament he ever appears, in the entire Bible he ever appears. He uses the, word, the Greek word apostolos, which is the word we get apostle from. And when you think about it, there's not many people in the New Testament that are called apostles. And he also uses this other phrase and, and, and this other term. And we, we actually, in our English translation, um, it's, if I were to quote it, it would say, take care of my needs. Okay, it was how we are translating it in English. But the Greek word is liturgos. And it's, it's this idea of a person who takes on a public office, uh, similar to maybe a school board or you know, chips back here, the fire chief. And, and not only do they take on that responsibility above and beyond their normal life and job, but they pay for all of the necessary requirements of that job with, out of their own pocket. 
So it'd be like, you know, Chip saying, hey, I'll be the fire chief and I'm going to buy everything for the community, for our, our fire trucks, everything we need. I'm going to pay salaries for everybody out of my pocket. So we get this sense that Epaphroditus was probably a man of some means. Uh, we don't know exactly, but there's this idea that, that, and there's an interesting phrase at the end, and when the lights come on, you can read it again. But it says, you know, Paul says, thank you for sending Epaphroditus because he met the needs you couldn't. And there's speculation that the, the church at Philippi could meet a certain amount of the need that Paul had in prison, but Epaphroditus, out of his own pocket, met the rest of his need. And what we know about Epaphroditus is as he's traveling, probably with a few other people, on his way to Rome, Ephesus, Caesarea, wherever Paul is, he falls ill. And not just, I have a cold. He didn't sound like Barry White, right? Um, Like almost dies on the way. But his devotion to his mission and his devotion to Paul are so extreme that he carries on through the point of death to carry out his mission. And he experiences this, what, what um, commentators have always said, have said is a truly a miraculous recovery, brought back from the brink of death to life. And so while they're traveling, he falls ill, and one of his travel companions goes back to Philippi and says, Epaphroditus is done. He's a goner. And so the church is mourning the loss of this important person in their, in their church. But Epaphroditus has lived, and so Paul is eager to send Epaphroditus back to correct the wrong message that the church at Philippi has had. So Epaphroditus is another incredible light in a dark world. Throughout history, we have seen men and women who have served as lights for Jesus in this dark world. I, I thought of Martin Luther King Jr., a man who saw the divide of this country. And because of his faith in Jesus, as his bedrock, chose to act, to do things that many other people couldn't or wouldn't do. I I think of Mother Teresa, who who looked at the poor in Calcutta, India, and, and said, I have to do something. I have to give everything I have, everything I am, to meet the needs of these young children on the streets and these women in Calcutta. I I think of Billy Graham, who recognized middle school, I believe it was, when he became a follower of Jesus, and and felt God's calling to preach the gospel, and, and preach the gospel to millions and millions and millions of people all around the world. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not one of those people. You know, I'm not either. But here's what I know. Romans 8, 11 says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We have within us the same Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And our calling may not be that of Paul, Timothy, or Epaphroditus. It may not be that of Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa or, or Billy Graham. But we're called to be a light wherever we are and however God has called us to do that. It's, it's kind of like this flashlight you know, the flashlight, honestly, without, without these batteries in here are nothing, right? We, individually, we represent this flashlight. And it's the Holy Spirit, our faith in Christ, our understanding and an adoption of Scripture as our guide for life that gives us the power to illuminate this world. Paul says in another book, Romans 12, I plead with you to give, all, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What if, what if each one of us made it our mission to truly understand and discover how God is calling us to be light in this dark world? Imagine the light that each one of us could be in, in our homes to start with. If we carried the mantle of, of being a man of God and a woman of God and, and, and a, a, a child of God in our homes, what if we became lights in our communities, in our neighborhoods, our cul-de-sacs, our streets, and we became this beacon of light that people could look to and we're illuminating Jesus through all of this? What if we became lights in our schools that when people look at you, they, they know that you're different because you don't look like the rest of the students or talk like the rest of the students or act like the rest of the students. And one day you might get a chance to tell them about Jesus. And you, your, your priority was not to be a student or an athlete, but your priority was to be a Jesus follower first and then a student and an athlete and a band member. What if we became lights in our workplaces? I, I know it's really easy not so much as a pastor, but I've been in the business world as well. It's really easy to be strong in your faith on Sunday morning and on Monday when you're in the office. It's kind of hard. But what if, we, what if we had the courage of Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Martin Luther King Jr., Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Sarah Blanchard, to say, no matter where I go, I'm going to be a light for Jesus. What would that look like if we, as a church, as a body of believers, said that Great Oaks is going to be a light in this community to illuminate the name of Jesus. I believe we already are, but I believe God has a future for us that is way bigger than what we're currently experiencing. And I believe that all we have to do is tap into the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and dedication to the word and, and sacrifice and commitment, and we can be an even bigger and brighter light for Jesus in this community. I remember Christmas Eve, we had our services here, and I was up here on the front row when uh, we did the candles, and we passed the light from person to person to person, right? And I took this picture. Guys, we, we didn't really have any lights on, just like we had lights dim here. But those candles, every person in this room holding a candle illuminated this entire space. I mean, we saw here how even just three simple candles cast enough light that we could maybe move around. We couldn't read very well. We, couldn't, maybe we might bump into a chair occasionally, but we couldn't move around in this room. It cast just enough light for us to see. What if every one of us became a flame for Jesus in this community? What would that look like? That's our hope and prayer as a church. That's where we're taking you as a church. And we ask simply that you partner with us in this journey, that you allow us to help you discover your next step towards God. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to burn for you. I think of that song. We want to burn for you. Father, we pray that you would light a fire in our souls that calls us to make radical sacrifices of obedience whether it be in our, our lifestyle, our words, 
our relationships, whatever that may be, Father, each one of us, each one of us has a different next step, and we have a next step as a church. And we're, our prayer is simply that, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that respond to what your Spirit is telling us. Help us to go shine a light for you in this world. And, and not for our sake, not for the sake of even the name of Great Oaks, but for your kingdom and for your son Jesus. May our light shine bright for him. Amen. Amen. Let's go and stand up together. Let's sing this one out. I'm sure you might remember this. Maybe from way back.